morning, everyone. It's a blessing to speak in BCM Chapel for a number of reasons, but I always enjoy seeing the old youth group from Falls Baptist here in Chapel, sitting at Baptist College of Ministry. Looks like you're enjoying it. That's good. <clears throat> it was the year 1978, if you can imagine, we're sitting at a football game. Of course, it would be a Monday night, not Sunday. And uh, <clears throat> the Oakland Raiders are playing against San Diego Chargers. There's 10 seconds left in the game. One team, the San Diego Chargers, are winning 20 to 14. Ten seconds left in the game, and Oakland has the ball, and they're on the 14-yard line. They're almost to their end zone. If they can score this for a touchdown and the point after, they'd win the game. They could at least tie it. There's a possibility of two plays left if they do it right, or certainly they could end it with time running out or score a touchdown. So here we are watching. Oakland hikes the ball, the quarterback's running around, scrambling, trying to find a receiver, and he can't find anybody to throw it to. And instead, he sees the defense now charging him, and he's going to be sacked. So he fumbles the ball as he's sacked. And the ball actually goes closer to the end zone, and his teammates, you know, in any kind of a fumble situation, there's a scramble for that ball. And usually the first guy to land on it doesn't end up with it. It always falls out somehow. So that's what happens. Oakland lands on it first, but instead they actually push it further to the end zone. And after a couple more instances like this, it ends up in the end zone and Oakland lands on the ball and it ends up being a touchdown. Time is out. They kick the point after and win the game. So later, after this whole situation happens, the recorder back and those receivers who pushed that ball into the end zone told the referees later after the game was over that we intentionally did that. We fumbled the ball knowing we had no other option and we kept pushing it to the end zone hoping one of our teammates would land on it in the end zone and it happened. Today there's a rule in the NFL you can't have forward progress on a fumble, on a fumble that would obviously result in a touchdown like what happened in 1978. But wouldn't you say there was a little bit of quick wit happening there? A quarterback to be able to think of that that quickly on that instant and for his teammates to be able to figure it out and help make the, make the play happen. Obviously wasn't a, the original plan. So a little bit of manipulation maybe you could say was happening in that game. A team thought quickly on their feet and made some things happen in an unusual way and ended up for their benefit, they ended up winning the game. Today, using the life of Jacob from the Old Testament, let's diagnose a manipulator's motivations and develop a manual of truth responses that a deceiver should choose instead. If these biblical responses are followed, the spirit and creativity of a manipulator can be rightly used as he is transformed into a faith instigator. So I want us to look today and notice some skill and quick wit in a manipulator and some of his motivations and then transition and turn that to why we should see instead somebody who's a faith instigator instead of a manipulator. And wouldn't you be honest and say that 
manipulation. Sometimes that can happen to all of us, and we like things to work out for our benefit. And so if there's any way that I can turn a situation to benefit me, that'd be a natural tendency, wouldn't it? That'd be normal, natural, I'd, and try to do that. But we're going to look here in Jacob's life. Some of his motivation for manipulation was not good. And we're going to look at the problems and what he should have done as a result. And as a result, instead of manipulating, you can turn a situation into instigating faith, both in your own life and in the people in your influence. And we'll see that here at the end, especially as we conclude the message, we'll really transition it to someone who was full of faith and what that did for him and his life. So, I'm sure here at Baptist College of Ministry, you never sleep in chapel, so I have a handout for you. That way you can take notes, and that's not why, because I thought you'd all be sleeping, though that could happen with me preaching. Um, I wanted to give this handout to you. I had it ready and available, and I thought it would be helpful for you to write some of these things down and to be able to stay tracking with me here throughout this time. So first of all, you can take your Bibles and look at Genesis 25. There's four different passages for sake of time. We won't read them all. I think we're familiar with the story of Jacob and his different manipulative moves that he makes. The first one we're going to call the birthright. You remember that story in the birthright situation? Here he is with his brother Esau. It's in this passage, Genesis 25. You can scan through that if you'd like to while we talk about it here. But Esau is starving. You ever been starving before? I don't know if I've ever been starving as much as Esau is in this situation, but he was starving, and so Jacob saw an area of weakness and an opportunity, and he took advantage of his brother and said, I'll give you some food if you sell me the birthright. And so the trade happens. Now I want us to see what are the motivations here for Jacob in this motivation for manipulation. You can think about it on your own there for a second. Look at the passage. What do you come up with? Do you see any jealousy? Did Esau have something that Jacob didn't have? Jacob wanted it. Okay, so there's a little bit of jealousy happening. I think in almost all of these, we could probably see a motivation for selfishness. Jacob was selfish. He wanted something. He didn't have it. So he's going to manipulate a situation to get what he wants. There's a little bit of me-first attitude. Maybe you're noticing something else. You can write that down. Certainly, he's taking advantage of an area of weakness in somebody else. So a manipulator like Jacob in this situation, he sees a moment of weakness in somebody else's life and he takes advantage of that. He wants to be known as the bigger, more important, the better one. So he takes advantage. Could that ever happen in your situation? Maybe you wouldn't necessarily take advantage of someone's weakness, but you're kind of glad when somebody else finds an air of weakness and it lifts you up. You're able to rise above them. Or maybe you're able to point out problems in their life and it makes you feel good because, hey, I'm a little bigger. I know better. 
Here's an area of weakness in your life. So these are some areas that I see in Joseph, or Jacob's life that caused him to manipulate a situation. I think that was pretty, pretty harsh of Jacob, don't you? Can you imagine stealing the birthright from your brother? I can kind of picture this happening maybe in a joking situation. Like, hey, let's pretend we're going to do this, and then it doesn't really actually happen. But he sets him up. Okay, so... <clears throat> Judson has some younger brothers here, right? Not here, but you have a couple younger brothers. And uh, let's say this last Christmas, Titus or Zachariah gets a $100 gift card to Cabela's. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Would you like that gift? You didn't get one, though, did you? Oh, that's pretty good. So you got a little bit, but not 100 but your younger brother's got 100 So would you be jealous? Okay. So, let's say Judson takes advantage. He sees an area here. Hey, I want that. I've got these cool sunglasses that one of my siblings got me from the Dollar Tree. But if I promote it in a way and I wear them in a certain way, and I bet I could convince Titus or Zachariah to trade me these sunglasses for that $100 gift card. Because look to them, what's a $100 gift card? They can't drive. What are they going to do with it? They don't understand the value of it. Maybe they do, but... So let's say Judson manipulates that situation and trades. That'd be kind of uh, crude, wouldn't it? A little bit harsh, cold-blooded to your younger brother because they don't know, they don't understand, and you're completely taking advantage of their situation and making it better for you. I don't think Judson would do that. If he did, I think Michaela and his other siblings would be upset at him, probably his mom and dad, and it would be reversed probably pretty quickly. So... There's kind of a a helpful, maybe an illustration to help us see in our time what this would be like. And I think in this case, it's even more severe because Jacob takes something that's forever from his brother and he does it like this is no big deal. I'm going to take something from you. I'm going to take advantage. You're weak right now. You're asking for it. You're going to get it. And this is Jacob's attitude. So what, what do you think his response should have been? What would be a manual for truth? Or what should Jacob have done in a situation like this? Instead of manipulating, instead of taking advantage, living selfishly? One of the first things that you should write down is trust God. In every one of our situations that we're going to look at here, the first response for Jacob should always be to trust God. A manipulator is not looking to God to help solve his problems. He's looking to himself as to how can I make this situation work. It's not working the way I want it to. I want the birthright, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to figure out a way. Here's an opportunity. Instead, Jacob should be learning to trust God. But then another practical thing here is to encourage an area, or an er when you see an area of weakness, take that opportunity to encourage somebody to lift them up. Doesn't Jesus teach us that? Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, I want that birthright, but it's not mine. So to love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean you're going to take it from them, right? It means you're going to lift them up. You're going to encourage them. You're going to build that person up. So find areas and opportunities of weakness in somebody else and don't manipulate it for yourself. Work it out to help advantage them, to lift them up. Instigate faith in somebody else's life. Be an example of kindness and appreciation for what God has done for you 
Instead of make the situation better for yourself, help your neighbor be a blessing to them. The second era of manipulation here is in Genesis 27, so you can look at that passage if you'd like. Verses 1 through 40. Again, a longer passage, so we won't read through this all. But you're familiar with the story, again, I'm sure, of Jacob receiving the blessing. The blessing is the blank there. The blessing is about to be given to his brother Esau. And once again, we see Jacob manipulating this situation to make it so that he gets the blessing. So what is his motivation? Do you see any motivations here in Jacob in this story? What's causing him to go about receiving the blessing? In this story, if you think about it, there's definitely a little bit of craftiness taking place. How many of you think you could very easily and quickly, within a short amount of time, deceive your parents and make them think that you're one of the other siblings? That there's going to take a little bit of skill to make that happen. And certainly Jacob or Isaac was blind, but I think probably it would take a little bit of skill. I know in my case to be able to deceive um, in a situation like that. So there's definitely some skill and craftiness happening here. And in this story, we see that it's not only Jacob that's doing this too. His mom is definitely involved. There's a little bit of favoritism in his mom towards Jacob. Sometimes I kind of wonder if his mom had that favoritism, maybe because Isaac her husband had forgotten that God had promised the blessing to go to Jacob. And Jacob's about to give a blessing, I mean, Isaac is about to give a blessing to Esau, and that's not part of God's plan. And maybe, maybe Isaac has gotten off track a little. Maybe Isaac has forgotten some of these things. Maybe he's lost a little bit of faith. Maybe he's discouraged. I don't know what's happening. But there's definitely some conflict going on as dad likes Esau and mom likes Jacob. And so Dad is about to give the blessing to Esau, and Mom says, wait, that's not right. That's not God's plan. So she and Jacob go to a manipulation plan of making it possible for Jacob to receive the blessing. Maybe there's a little motivation to keep that favoritism with Mom. Maybe there's a motivation because Jacob is afraid of getting caught, and so what does manipulation lead you to do? Once you start down the path, is it easy to stop? No, because if you stop, you might get caught. So you have to keep going. You have to keep manipulating. You have to keep telling lies. And you have to put another lie that's bigger to help cover up the first one. And this is what Jacob is getting himself caught in. He's about to start a process of manipulation and lying to his father that leads to another one and leads to another one and eventually he's going to get what he wants. But that doesn't sound very enjoyable. How many of you like getting what you want when you didn't actually earn it? Nobody likes, you can't even go to sleep at night because you got something that you didn't actually earn rightfully. It was manipulated. I think there's also a motivation here that Jacob and his mom wanted God's will to, to happen. They wanted it to come to pass. But do you have to make God's will come to pass? 
Do you have to manipulate? Do you have to help God? Does God need you? No, God's big enough. Here we see God gave a promise to Jacob, and he and his mom have remembered this. And I think maybe Isaac forgot about it some. And so they're going to try to help God make his will come to pass. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Right? So some wrong motivations happening here again in Jacob's life. What would be the manual for truth? What should his response have been? Certainly trust God. If Jacob had trusted God, there would not have been this story of manipulation and going to his father to lie. He could have, what, imagine the story, what it could have been. Here's an example of a man, Jacob, who trusted God in a situation that was going the wrong way. And he said, God, you know how to take care of this. That blessing's supposed to be mine. And not for selfish motivations, but because this is part of your plan. But that's not the story. But it should have been. Jacob should have trusted God and believed God's promise. Instead, there could have also been an encouraging one another between him and his mom. Hey, let's trust God. Let's, here's a problem. You're wanting me to do this or vice versa. Both of them are working together to manipulate when they could have been working together and building faith in each other. Taking an opportunity to pray and look to God. So if you find yourself in that kind of a situation, certainly not manipulating to get the blessing like this, but work together with your partner, with your neighbor, with your friends, people that are involved in your life to trust God. Look to God together. Take time to pray together. Don't try to manipulate and make what God has said is going to happen come to pass by you manipulating the situation to make it that way. Learn to trust God. You know, just a really practical thing at your stage in life, you're getting close to marriage and starting a new family and things like that. So could you find yourself ever manipulating a situation for the sake of marriage or for the sake of building a relationship with somebody? Do you think that could ever happen? It certainly could. And here's an example, an opportunity I trust. There's one practical application for you to think, in my life, am I manipulating situations? Am I trying to present myself? Am I trying to make God's will happen in a way that is before God's time or out of line with God's plan? If you learn to trust God, these kinds of situations, God knows how to work out. God knows how to make life perfect for you. You don't have to try to help manipulate situations to make it happen. The third manipulation here in Genesis 30 is the area of the cattle. This one I kind of find interesting, kind of a unique story here that's happening. So Genesis 30, verse 37 to 43. It's a little bit shorter. You can probably scan that here in just a moment as we talk. So, a little context, Jacob is wanting, you know, he's spending time with his father-in-law, Laban. Jacob has met his match here with Laban. Laban's also a manipulator, a deceiver. Jacob tried doing it to his father-in-law a few times. He's grown up living this kind of a lifestyle, and Jacob is not very happy with his father-in-law because he keeps getting him back. 
Unfortunately, it's both the wrong way. They're both fighting against each other and they're both selfish in their motivations. But Jacob knows, remember, he knows that God has promised the blessing in his life. So, and he's coming to a point in his life where it's time to leave. It's time to go back to his father, Isaac, back home, take his wife, his wives and kids with him and his, his animals, all his belongings. So, Jacob also wants to be the bigger and the better also, doesn't he? You see that? And in this story here, Jacob is manipulating the animals that he's taking care of for his father-in-law, and they've already agreed with his father-in-law. All the ring strikes, speckled, spotted, those are going to be mine, and the solid colors are yours. And they agree upon that. And now, in this story, Jacob is manipulating the animals by putting this stick that has speckles and spots and stripes on it right in front of the animals at the watering trough. But he also removes it when an animal comes up that's weak because Jacob doesn't want that animal to be reproducing ring streaks, speckled and spotted because he doesn't want any weak animals. So he wants his father-in-law to have those ones. That sounds like a good relationship, right? And so does this manipulation work? we see that the animals do reproduce according to what Jacob was doing. The weak ones don't get to see the, the stick, so they don't reproduce. They reproduce straight colors. And then the animals that are strong, Jacob puts a stick in front of them, and they reproduce according to a strong and healthy animal with the spots that become his. So Jacob's herd of sheep and goats, whatever animals, are growing and multiplying, and they're all the strong, good, healthy ones. Laban's animals and his flock, you know, they're reproducing somewhat, and they're all turning out weak. And Jacob is getting bigger and stronger and better. How did that manipulation work? What is Jacob's motivation in this situation. We'll explain how this works in a moment. But what's his motivation? Is he angry? Is he a little bit frustrated? Okay, so is he trying to get even? He's trying to get back at somebody. There's a motivation. I'm upset. I'm bothered by somebody. They've done wrong to me, so I'm going to get even with them. I, there's a motivation. I've got to do better than them. And in this situation, it works. He does end up better with the better animals and more, stronger and healthier. He wants to do better than somebody who has wronged him. Somebody's hurt him. His father-in-law has hurt him and injured him, wounded him. And Jacob wants to get even with this person. He wants to do better than them and show, hey, that's okay. You try to hurt me, that's all right. I'm just going to do better than you. This is his attitude. But... If you're a manipulator or maybe you're working with somebody who's a manipulator, don't be fooled when their manipulation works. Because in this case, that didn't, that's not actually the cause for why these animals reproduced. It's not because Jacob put a stick in front of them. There's a bigger picture that's happening. God had promised a blessing to Jacob, and here Jacob is receiving it. It wasn't because Jacob put the sticks. It wasn't because, you know, there is a superstition perhaps that this would happen, this would work, and it did work. But I think that the bigger picture here is that God had a plan, and God was making things come to pass his way, 
whether Jacob was doing the right thing or not. God had already determined this is what's going to happen. And what should have been the uh, manual for truth? What should Jacob have been doing in this situation? Does God say that vengeance is mine? I will repay. But Jacob said, I'm going to repay him. I'm going to get back at my father-in-law. This is my responsibility. I cannot let my father-in-law beat me, so I'm going to get him back. Does the Bible say to bless those who despitefully use you? Have you ever been tricked? Have you ever been mistreated? Have you ever been put down? And how do you respond? I've found that uh, many times when you respond by turning the other cheek or when you turn and bless them, God knows how to convict somebody in a far greater way than you can by you trying to get even with them. Here Jacob is trying to get even in a physical way with his father-in-law. But if he had responded the right way, God knows how to take Laban or to take any situation and convict and convince them of wrong in a far greater and better way than you can. So, Learn to bless those who despitefully use you. Learn to give vengeance to God. Learn to trust God. Once again, if Jacob had trusted God, it would have been a different situation. We would see a different relationship. We would see a far greater relationship between him and his father-in-law. Instead, their relationship ends with frustration towards each other, manipulation towards each other. I think if you think about the story, that's a pretty sad story of how Laban deceived Jacob into marrying the other sister. Just putting that into practical terms there, day. Can you imagine your dad giving you instead of your sibling to on the wedding day? Be a little bit unusual, a little bit awkward, um, a little bit of a challenge maybe be, to begin living that way with a new husband that you were never planning to and your husband was never planning to marry you be kind of a difficult situation, but this is the relationship between Jacob and his father. Definitely some hurts that are happening. I would say that'd be a pretty strong wound in my life. Okay, so there's some pretty real, serious things that are happening in this relationship, but regardless, the right response is to trust God, to leave vengeance to God, to bless those who despitefully use you, to not have to try to manipulate to make the things happen the way you want it to. The last one that I want us to see in the back of your page is in Genesis 31, verse 17 to 21. If you look at the verses prior to this, God is speaking to Jacob and Jacob is talking to his wives and his family and it's time for them to leave their father-in-law, to go back home, Isaac, um, back home and build that relationship again with his real father. And uh, God has blessed him in multiple different ways. He has lots of children, he has lots of cattle, and so it's time for them to go. But Jacob leaves without his father-in-law knowing what's happening. And three days after Jacob and his family leave, Laban finds out. And then after these verses, we read how Laban pursues after Jacob. And the Lord says, don't say anything to Jacob, whether good or bad. So another awkward situation, another moment in Jacob's life where things are trying to go his way 
and it's not working out very good. So what is Jacob's motivation here in this situation? I think he's escaping. Don't you see that? That's, that's pretty clear. He's trying to run away, escape the situation. He's escaping the area in his life that's causing all the problems. He wants to get away. He wants to go back home. <clears throat> I see also that there's a fear in Jacob. And it's, it's not a good fear. He's afraid of being honest and communicating with his father-in-law because he thinks if I'm honest in this situation, I'm not going to get the results that I want. So I'm not going to tell the truth. I'm not going to go to my father-in-law and tell him what's happening. I'm not going to go to him and say, hey, I had a meeting with God. This is what God wants me to do. See, they didn't have that kind of a relationship to talk about those things in a good way anyway. So why would Jacob go to his father-in-law and tell him this? He decides, you've hurt me enough, so I'm just going to get up and leave you and not even tell you what's happening. You're not going to see your grandkids again. You're not going to see your two daughters. You're not going to see me. You don't want to see me anyway, so I'm going to just get up and leave. So this is Jacob's attitude. His manual for truth, the right response should we trust God? Definitely. He can be honest and communicate what is supposed to be communicated and trust God to work out the situation. God's a God of truth and honesty, right? So if you're relating to him in that way, then I think he can help you. So you be honest and communicate honestly. Talk about what's happening and look and see what God does. I think there was a great opportunity for Jacob to respond the right way to his father, to restore and build a right relationship with his father-in-law and communicating honest truth with him, talking about what God's doing in his life. But he couldn't do that because he wasn't in the right place even in his relationship with God and his father-in-law. And now look at um, Proverbs 37. Probably you know these verses, but starting in verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Is this Jacob? No. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Was Jacob resting in the Lord? Was he waiting patiently? Did he go to his father-in-law and communicate? Did he apologize? Did he confess things? Was he an open and honest communicator? No, he wasn't. He was an escaper. He got up and left. He's trying to leave scars and hurts in somebody's life who has hurt him. And he's not trusting God. So, in general, this is kind of what we think of Jacob when we mention his name, right? There certainly is other parts of Jacob, and we're going to look really briefly at some of those. But in general, this is the majority of what the Bible gives to us to describe Jacob. Now, does manipulation work? Here's four examples. Did any of them turn out the right way? Did they turn out good? 
some of them turned out the way God planned and designed them to. Like Jacob was supposed to get the blessing and he got it. But he got it through manipulation, through his own way, his own time, instead of waiting on God's time. Manipulation, it might work. You might get what you want, but in the end, you really don't have what you really want. Because that comes when you delight yourself in the Lord and you rest in Him and wait patiently for God's plan and time. Turn to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 and verse 27 helps us see that manipulation does not work. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it, it will return upon him. Jacob dug multiple pits, and he fell into all of them. He rolled a stone, and it fell back on him constantly. But yet he got what he wanted. He got the blessing. He got the birthright. He went back home. He escaped. He got all the animals. Isn't that what he was wanting? It is what he wanted, but he got it the wrong way through his own selfish motivation and manipulation, and it turned out to be a, a sad life. He's not happy. He's not content. Things are not going well for him. He doesn't have good relationships. He's got more wives than he wanted. I, <laughs> unusual story. <clears throat> now, let's go back to Genesis and verse 37, uh, chapter 37. Another part here, an important part of Jacob's life. Genesis 37 and verse 2. I want us to see the very first sentence and the next word. says, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. Do you remember that Joseph is the son of Jacob? And when you think of Joseph, do you think of a manipulator? What do you think of? Maybe faith instigator? Would that be a better way to describe the son of Jacob? Joseph is a faith instigator and he's not a manipulator. If there's anybody in all of the Bible who instigates faith, I think Joseph would be one of the top. But how did that happen? If you look at Jacob's father, was Isaac a liar, manipulator in any way? A little bit. And even going back to the first generation, Abraham, did he lie sometimes about his wife when they'd go to different places? Yeah, he did. And you see that passed down and you get to Jacob and it's a far greater extreme than it was with Abraham. And you look at Jacob's children, Reuben, Judah, Levi, were they manipulators? They were, they were about to murder their own brother. Jacob stole the birthright from his brother and here Jacob's sons are about to murder each other. There's a lot of problems happening in Jacob's children, but why is Joseph different? How come Joseph isn't known as a manipulator? And I think the reason why is a transformation from a manipulator to a faith instigator can happen in a moment. It's a choice of faith, a choice of trust and dependence on God. Do you remember that story? Jacob wrestled with God, and in one night, his life had changed. Jacob had met with God. Jacob had yielded himself to God. God, I can't go anywhere without you, with your blessing. I've got to have God's help. 
There was a moment in Jacob's life when it changed from manipulation to learning to trust God. And now he's beginning to instigate faith. And I think his older boys had already been instilled in manipulation. Joseph was at a very prime age in his life learning things from his father when this happened. And I think this is the reason that Joseph is different. Because he's growing up with a different dad. A dad who's learned to yield and surrender to God. So in a moment, you can be transformed from a manipulator to a faith instigator. And how important is it too for you to understand and get this right now because someday you're going to have kids. And what kind of kids do you want to have? Joseph or Judah? I think we would all like to have the ones that are like Joseph that instigate faith, but you're going to have to learn to do it yourself. You're going to have to learn to trust God. You're going to have to learn under pressure situations. Jacob was in a pressure situation in all four instances. And under pressure, what is your response? Can you trust God? Or do you find yourself manipulating situations to make it work out the way you want it to work out? And sometimes it might even be God's plan. But remember, God knows how to make his plan work in a better way, in a better time than you can. So learn to trust God. Let's go ahead here and close your eyes and for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example here of Jacob and the fact that you've given us your word and much truth to learn from this and these other principles we looked at there and throughout scripture on how you want us to trust you. And I thank you that you're a God who always does right. You're a God of truth and honesty. And help us, Lord. I know that's a heart cry for myself and I'm sure for each one here in this room. Sometimes we face those pressure moments and situations and we feel like manipulating and working things out in our own way and It's not always the easiest thing to stop and trust God and to look to you and to instigate faith in our own life and somebody else's, but I pray for help because I'm sure you want to do that in each one of our lives. I think that's the heart of each one here. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enable and uh, in each area of conviction that you might have brought to our hearts, would you give us grace? Lord, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, take a moment here. To stop and think, what's God doing in my heart? What does he want me to change? What area of manipulation am I focusing on or putting into practice in my life? What are my motivations under pressure? How am I responding?